Happy Laetare Sunday. Laetare, Jerusalem. These words are taken from the Latin version of Isaiah 66.10, and it is the traditional introit at the beginning of the Mass for the fourth Sunday of Lent. Rejoice, O Jerusalem. Today is the midpoint in our season of Lent, and if we had rose-colored vestments, we would be wearing them today. It's uh, true in some places. It's a day to lighten the penitential burden of this season and to rejoice, which is why you see flowers on the altar today and uh, a little different feel to the liturgy. It's also a day that is known as Mothering Sunday in some places, a day observed in England and parts of Europe. During the 16th century, people returned to their mother church on this day, uh, the main church or cathedral of the area, for a service to be held on Laetare Sunday. This was either the church where you were baptized, or the local parish church, or more often, the nearest cathedral. Anyone who did this was commonly said to have gone a mothering. Secularly, it became a day to honor the mothers of children and is simply referred to nowadays often as Mother's Day, thanks to Hallmark. Hallmark. I'm happy to remember it uh, this day, the 6th of March, as the birthday of my own mother. May peace be upon her. It's also the day when in our lectionary we hear a story that I never tire of hearing, the parable that is traditionally referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. It is a parable that is immortalized in popular references. Uh, you may have one in your family. Some of us may have been one, or had one, or known one. And that would probably include just about all of us when we extend it that far. This parable has been immortalized in many works of art, none more powerful than Rembrandt's Return of the Prodigal Son which hangs in the Hermitage in St. Petersburg, Russia. It is a renowned work described by the art historian Kenneth Clark as a picture which those who have seen the original in Leningrad may be forgiven for proclaiming it as the greatest picture ever painted. In the painting, the son has returned home in his wretched state from his wanderings he has wasted his inheritance. He has ended up not only in abject poverty, but working in the lowest and most unkosher of jobs, feeding pigs. There was nothing lower than that. He kneels before his father in repentance, asking for forgiveness and an opportunity to rejoin the family, having realized that even his father's servants had a better life than he. In this painting, we see the father receiving his wayward son with a tender gesture. His hands seem to suggest both mothering and fathering at once. The left hand appears in a larger in the picture and more masculine, and it's set on the son's shoulder, while the right hand is softer and more receptive in its gesture. Standing to the right is the older brother in this painting an older brother who crosses his hands in judgment. In the parable, he objects to the father's compassion for the wayward son, saying to his father, 
For all of these years, I have been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. The father explains, but we had to celebrate. We had to rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Now, the three very different characters in this story, three very different personalities and views of what is going on. It's fun in a Bible study group to read this passage and then to ask the question, okay, which one of these characters do you identify with? It's a question we could all ask ourselves right now. You probably already know the answer to that. And generally, people feel very distinct connections with one of these three characters. People who have been through hard times in their life, perhaps were the rebellious one in their family, know what the younger son feels and can identify with him. Those of us who are the responsible ones more easily identify with the older son. And occasionally there is someone who will identify with the father in this story, who extends a loving hand of forgiveness and acceptance. And it's amazing how we tend to see the positive qualities in the one with whom we identify and the negative or shadow side of the others in this very interesting story. If you identify with the prodigal, you see his coming to his senses, his willingness to ask for forgiveness and turn his life around, his humility in hoping that he might just have a roof over his head again and gain a place as a servant back home. You love the fact that his father runs to him and embraces him as he comes crawling back after a bad patch in life. And you see the older brother as being judgmental and self-righteous, a risk-averse, play-it-safe people-pleaser, and the one who will never let you forget just how unworthy you really are. Now, if you identify with the older son, you see him as the good son who plays by the rules and is justifiably angry when the father throws a party for the brother who threw it all away. And they see the younger son as irresponsible and not to be trusted, one you should not coddle. And they're sure that the father is being codependent with the ne'er-do-well younger son, which will simply enable him to screw up again, then be rewarded with another party. So while we're all likely to immediately identify with one or the other of these two sons, the reality is that there is some of all three of these characters in all of us. Suzanne Guthrie, who's a priest and astute interpreter of the scriptures, says this about this story. She says, I am the son returning again and again. I am the father scanning the horizon, watching for the impossible and then embracing it in my arms. I am the revelers in a faraway town. I am the servants in the father's household. 
and I am the older brother, in tears of rage, uncomprehending and exasperated. She continues, Lent, she says, gives me time to find myself, my true self, for better or for worse, and usually both. Lent gives me time to work on habits that alienate me from myself and from God and from my loved ones. I learn to see the edited version of myself for what it is and to step back from the cult of this shadow I've created of myself. Lent teaches me to wake up in the middle of the waking day to a fuller awareness of my state of mind, to repent, to turn around toward the loving presence watching for me. Lent teaches me the subversion of loving and being loved. Lent prepares me to accept my authentic self, which is love. I was privileged to have Henry Nouwen as a professor when I was in seminary. He was a Dutch Roman Catholic priest who taught both at Yale and Harvard Divinity Schools for several years and was the author of many, many books. We used to joke that Henry had never had an unpublished thought. In 1992, he wrote a book about Rembrandt's painting following a visit to the Hermitage where he was so deeply taken by this masterpiece. In his book about it, here's what Henry says. He says, Rembrandt is as much the elder son of the parable as he is the younger. When during the last years of his life he painted both sons in return of the prodigal son, he had lived a life in which neither the lostness of the younger son nor the lostness of the elder son was alien to him. Both needed healing and forgiveness. Both needed to come home. Both needed the embrace of a forgiving father. But from the story itself, as well as from Rembrandt's painting, it is clear that the hardest conversion to go through is the conversion of the one who stayed home. Now, there's a sense in which we prejudice the meaning of this parable by calling it the parable of the prodigal son and put all the spotlight right there. Because it's ultimately a story not about one son or the other, it's a story about a loving and merciful parent, an image of the God in whose image we are all made and toward whom we must move to find our true and authentic self. So I'm going to suggest, in spite of what our various versions of the Bible might print at the top of this parable, we begin to call it the parable of the merciful parent. This is the God who invites us all, the unrighteous and the self-righteous, to return to the heart of love and mercy that is our true nature and our most authentic self and to which God invites us constantly to return. There's a very simple yet beautiful statue of the merciful parent in a corner of the Bishop's Garden at the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. I came upon it by chance on a, a visit wandering through that garden many years ago, and I was deeply moved by this statue. The embrace of the Father nearly envelops the whole 
being of the prodigal. I was the parent of young children at the time, and I had grown up being that dutiful eldest son who rarely, if ever, broke the rules and was good at hiding it if I did. I didn't yet know what it would be like for me to have a child who did break the rules. I found out. And just how hard that would be for me. How hard I would have to work to let go of my judgmental thoughts, learn to see through the eyes of my child the withering specter of my disapproving gaze. It was hard work. But I've learned so much from that experience. It's part of my own journey from being lost to being found, a journey that continues still. And so it is for all of us. We're all on a journey in this life to reclaim the love and the mercy that is our true home and our most authentic self. So yes, Lent can be a time for rejoicing. And this is a day for that. The one who was lost has been found. And may it be so for every one of us. Amen.